How about that? I'm good. Jeremiah chapter 23, reading the first 22 verses. If I get carried away, I might get to 24. <laughs> when I was putting out the Bible this morning, the first verse was a little different than that version. This one starts, Woe to the shepherds. That one starts, Woe to the pastors. True. I'm not making it up. However, my version. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to the shepherds who tend my people. Because you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not bestowed care on them, I will bestow punishment on you for the evil you have done, declares the Lord. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and will bring them back to their pasture where they will be fruitful and increase in numbers. I will place shepherds over them who will tend them and they will no longer be afraid or terrified nor will any be missing declares the Lord the days are coming declares the Lord when I will raise up to David a righteous branch a king who will reign wisely and do what is just and right in the land in his day Judah will be saved and Israel will live in safety this is the name by which he will be called, the Lord, our righteousness. So then, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when people will no longer say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but they will say, as surely as the Lord lives who brought the descendants of Israel up out of the land of the north and out of all the countries where he had banished them. Then they will live in their own land. Concerning the prophets, my heart is broken within me. All my bones tremble. I'm like a drunken man, a man overcome by wine, because the Lord and his holy word. The land is full of adulterers because of the curse the land lands parched, and the pastures are withered. The prophets follow an evil course and use their power unjustly. Both prophet and priest are godless. Even in my temple, I find their wickedness, declares the Lord. Therefore their path will become slippery. They will be banished to darkness and they will fall. I will bring disaster on them in the year they are punished, declares the Lord. Among the prophets of Samaria, I saw this repulsive thing. They prophesied by Baal and led my people Israel astray. Among the prophets of Jerusalem, I saw something horrible. They committed adultery and lived a lie. They strengthened the hands of the evildoers so that none turns from his wickedness. They are all like Solom, Sodom to me. The people of Jerusalem are like Gomorrah. Therefore, this is what the Lord God says concerning the prophets. I will make them eat bitter food and drink poisoned water because the prophets from Jerusalem ungodliness has spread throughout the world. 
This is what the Lord Almighty says. Do not listen to the prophets who are prophesying to you. They fill you with false hopes. They speak visions from their own mind, not from the mouth of the Lord. They keep saying to those who despise me, the Lord says, you'll have peace. And to all who follow the stubbornness of their hearts, they say, no harm will come to you. But which of them has given the counsel of the Lord to see or hear his word? Who has listened and heard his word? See, the storm of the Lord will burst out in wrath, a whirlwind swirling down in the hands of the wicked. The anger of the Lord will not turn back until he fully accomplishes the purposes of his heart. In days to come, you will understand it clearly. I did not send these prophets, yet they run with their message. I did not speak to them, yet they have prophesied. And if they had stood in my counsel, they would have proclaimed my words to the people. They would have turned them from their evil ways and from their evil deeds. Am I only a God nearby, declares the Lord, and not a God far away? Can anyone hide in secret places so I cannot see him, declares the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, declares the Lord. For those of you who are wondering what's happened to the other lectern, it is in for repairs at the moment. Um, some strange person who shall remain nameless and was addressed with a woe this morning damaged it last week. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we are your people and that you are our God. Lord, thank you that we know your character, that you are a God of compassion and mercy, slow to anger, quick to forgive. Lord, I pray now that we would just be so aware of your presence through these words that we have heard read. Lord, your word is like a, a double-edged sword. Lord, your word is life. Lord, may that life cut through into our lives this morning. And Holy Spirit, I dare to ask that you would even speak through me. Amen. It began. It began. Oh, that's loud. Sounds like a beginning of a movie trailer. It began with. It began a long time ago. Genesis chapter 12, with a bloke called Abraham, called by God to leave his home, to leave his people, and to go to a land which God would show him. And as God called Abraham to go, Genesis chapter 12, he said to him, Abraham, I will go with you. I will bless you. I will give you descendants. Your descendants, he says later, will be as the sand on the seashore, as the stars in the sky. Genesis chapter 12 says God to Abraham, Abraham, I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who curse you. 
And as Genesis moves forward, we see Abraham, who is later renamed to Abraham, about Genesis 15, as God takes him on this journey from where he was to where God wanted him to be. This promise of land and people. And as time goes forward, we know what happens. Uh, the, the Israelites, Abraham's descendants, end up as slaves in Egypt. And then God, at the beginning of Exodus, comes down and says, I have heard the cries of my people in slavery, and I will save them. Why? Because I promised Abraham that I would. And I will lead them into a land that is flowing with milk and honey. And we read, as, as, under Moses' guidance, God takes, well, under God's guidance, Moses takes the people of Israel out of Egypt. How they cross the Red Sea. How they arrive at the mountain of God. How God makes a, a covenant, an agreement with them and says, I will be your God and you will be my people. And we see, again, how the people there falter at the footstool of God, and they sin. And God is about to wipe them out. He says to Abraham, Abraham, I will start again with you. And Abraham intercedes for the people and says, God, do not destroy this nation that you have rescued for the sake of who you are and for the sake of your promises. And time moves forward and, and eventually they take the land under Joshua and everything is going well and a king is appointed, King Saul. And after King Saul, a better king, King David. And in 1 Samuel 7, God comes to King David and he utters new promises to King David. He says, David, your line, your throne, your kingdom will never end. Your son will always be on the throne. I will call him son. He will call me father. And under David, the kingdom of Israel flourished. The people grew satisfied with the land in which they were. They were blessed by God. And Solomon, the kingdom expanded even more. There was peace. There was security. And then Solomon died. And there was a bit of a fight for the crown. And what actually ended up happening is that the kingdom, this land of the promise of God, was broken in two. You had the land of Israel in the north, and you had the land of Judah in the south. And from that point on, really, there, there are some throwbacks to the good times, like David, people, kings even, who, who were in a right relationship with God, who loved God and led the people wisely. But for the most part, it was a downward spiral. Up in the northern kingdom of Israel, things went from, from very bad 
to terrible to nothing. Right from the beginning of the northern kingdom, they decided that they were not going to worship the God of Israel. They set up two gold calves and said, Look, people of Israel, there is your God who brought you out of Egypt. And the land to the north, the Israelites, stumbled into sin like you wouldn't imagine. Until eventually, the king of Assyria came down and took them away. And resettled them in foreign places. And brought foreigners to resettle where they had been. That's how we get the Samaritans. The people that were resettled into the northern kingdom. And it's around about this time that the prophet Jeremiah comes to the fore. Jeremiah was a prophet in the southern kingdom of Judah. Jeremiah was, well, you probably know his name is the the weeping prophet. This bloke really did not want to be a prophet. He really didn't want to be a prophet because it hurt him on so many levels to be a prophet of God. At one point he says, you know, I've tried to hold this message that God has given me in. I hold it, I hold it, I hold it, and I can't. I have to speak. God compels me to say His word. You see, Jeremiah comes at a very dark time in the nation's history. He starts his his prophetic services, we're told, uh, in the 13th year of of King Josiah. Josiah, one of the boy kings, uh, just barely a teenager when he becomes king, I I think. Either that or he's seven. He's really young. And it's under him, things are kind of okay, but after him, there are no good kings, really, in Jerusalem. Near the beginning of Jerusalem, Jeremiah's prophetic ministry, chapter 5. God has told Jeremiah, Jeremiah, this people have sinned so much that I am going to send them into slavery, into a land far away, into exile. I will punish them for their wrong. But, says God in Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1, Jeremiah, uh, uh, here's an option. I want you to go through the streets of this city. I want you to wander through the streets of this city and I want you to see, is there one righteous person? Is there one person here who loves me and obeys me? The whole city, if you can find even one just and honest person, I will not destroy the city. That's chapter 5 of the second longest book in the Old Testament. Things were dark. Their kings were leading them astray. Those who were meant to turn them to God were instead encouraging them to sin. The priests who were meant to be serving God 
were serving themselves. That's what we read in Jeremiah chapter 23 from verse 9 onwards. Really, we could have read to the end of the chapter. could have read to the end of the book. False prophets. False priests. Verse 10, For the land is full of adultery, and it lies under a curse. The land itself is mourning, its wilderness pastures are dried up, for they all do evil and abuse what power they have. You know, as Jeremiah is speaking there, and, and as God is speaking through him, as he's looking at the land, it, it is just a horrible, horrible picture. Do you remember at Genesis when God cast Adam and Eve out of the garden for rebelling against him, he said that the land would be cursed. A direct result of the first sin of the first people. And here in Jerusalem, the land of milk and honey, what do we find? We find the same thing. We find that the land is under a curse. That the land is mourning because of the sins of the people. And when chapter, when chapter 23, verse 10 speaks about the land being full of adultery, it's not just speaking sort of in extravagant language. I think what we find as we read through the book of Jeremiah, great book to read through, is, is that this was probably, I mean, I mean, this is symbolic language of they are committing adultery against God, but, but you know, they were following the ways of the people of the land, the Canaanites. Part of their rights were, were to commit you know, adultery as a fertility rite. And, and what's happening here is that we find that even in the temple, the place where God said, this is where I am with my people, this is a holy place, the people were saying, forget that. We'll do what we want to do. We will ignore God. We will not follow God. We will go our own way. We will go our own way. Verse 13 tells us that in the northern kingdom up in Samaria, the reason why God banished them and destroyed them really was because they had prophesied in the name of Baal and they'd led the people into sin, these prophets. They had utterly rejected God. And then we're told in the next verse that what God saw happening in Jerusalem during Jeremiah's day is far worse. You see, up in the northern kingdom, at least they were honest about their dishonesty. They rejected God absolutely. They said, we'll have nothing more to do with him. We will not go down to the temple we will just worship our balls. And yet here in Jerusalem, in the temple, the people were claiming to be God's people and living utterly godless lives. 
utterly godless lives. Those who were supposed to have known better, the priests and the prophets, they were living as godless a life as anyone else. And says verse 14, instead of pulling the people up on their sin, they were encouraging it. They encourage those who are doing evil so that no one turns away from their sins. These prophets are as wicked as the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Says God, this is just, this is unimaginably bad. My prophets, my priests, my people are being led astray. They are rejecting me, maybe not outright, but, but they are rejecting me nonetheless. They are living lives as, as, as if I am unimportant. And what will happen, says Jeremiah, just a little bit later, is that they will forget me. So they live their lives as they just go on with, with whatever they want to do. Maybe as they, as they fly the old, ooh, we're God's people in God's land flag just keep on sinning. And you know, there were priests and prophets back in those days, uh, enemies of Jeremiah, who, whose sole job in their eyes was to say to the people, things are going well, mate. Things are going really well. There's going to be peace. There's going to be prosperity. Everything's good. Everything's happy. Smile with me now. God said, everything is going to be fantastic. No, don't worry about that sin in your life. It's okay, God. God doesn't really care. God doesn't really bother with, with, with that sort of stuff. God doesn't really care. God doesn't really bother. And we read at the beginning of chapter 23 about the shepherds. And yes, it can be translated pastors. This is a hard passage for me to read. <laughs> but it's also speaking about the, the leaders of God's people in general. Speaking about the kings. Speaking about the authorities. Speaking about those who we are told have been placed by God above his people. Why? to be his agents for righteousness and justice. If we go back and you read through chapter 22 of Jeremiah, you'll see it's just a list of, of how the kings, uh, Jehoiachim, Jehoiakim, and Zedekiah, have just been the most pathetic kings you can imagine. These are people who are, I love the saying, fleecing the sheep. They're, they're taking the people for whatever they're worth. They're abusing them. They're, they're, they're just leading them astray. And God comes through Jeremiah 
at this dark hour. And he says to the people, and he says to the leaders, and he says to the priests, and he says to the prophets, enough is enough. You think that you have been getting away with this. You think that I don't care. You think that you can say peace, peace. And there will be peace, peace. As if when you prophesy, I must act. And God says, no. These are my people. These are the ones that I chose since before time. These are the ones to whom I promised Abraham, I will make you into a great nation. And those who bless you, I will bless. And those who curse you, I will curse. And yet they are a curse on themselves. And so God says, no. First to the shepherds, to the leaders in verse 2. It says there, you're supposed to have been taking care of my sheep. And literally he says, and so I'm going to take care of you. Take care of you. It says later to the prophets and the priests, the same things. Your paths will become slippery, you will stumble. nation will go into exile. 70 years of exile this nation endured. 70 years cut off from the promise of God that they would live in their own land. That they would be his special people. The promise to David that he would always have a king on the throne. And there they are in exile. Why? Verse 3, because God drives them into exile. Because God is a, a righteous God, is a holy God, and just because we are His people doesn't mean that we can get away with blue murder. And Jeremiah, poor Jeremiah, is the voice of God to announce this to the peoples. You know what? Sometimes it's easy for us to, to get on the judgment wagon. Ooh, you are such a bad person. Ooh, you are such a terrible person. How unrighteous are you? What does Jeremiah do? Jeremiah 23 verse 9. He says to us over there, my heart broke. My heart is broken because of these false prophets. My bones tremble. I, I'm, I'm like a drunk man stumbling through life here. 
My heart is broken. My bones are trembling. I'm like a drunk man because I know what God has said and I know how holy God is and I know how unholy my people are and I know what is going to happen to them and I know that we are going to go into exile and I hate it and I just wish that they would turn back to God and be saved. wish they would turn back to God and be saved. You know, in about verse 18 of this chapter, Jeremiah is speaking. Oh, sorry, God's speaking and he says, you know, if these prophets, 18 and 22, if these prophets had actually been in my presence, they wouldn't have prophesied peace, peace. They wouldn't have shoved sin under the carpet. They would have lifted it up into plain sight and said, how disgustingly horrible pile of rubbish is that? Turn and be saved. Verse 22. Right, how are you enjoying the message on hope? You happy? You know what, it would be so easy for me to get up here and read Jeremiah 23, verses 3 to 8. And say, right, we are doing a lovely story on hope today. Everything's going to turn out right. But you know, hope is only hope because it is shining in a dark place. If we didn't see the context in which Jeremiah was prophesying and speaking God's word, who cares if there's going to be a new king? You know, as as I was reading through this passage this week, that, that verse 9 is the one that really stuck in my brain. Where Jeremiah says, my heart is broken, my bones tremble, I'm like a drunk man, because of the holy words the Lord has spoken, because the land is full of adultery. And, and I think it's stuck in my mind because, you know, as, as I look around us at our world, Is it any different to the land of Judah and the people of Jerusalem? Where there are people out there saying, peace, peace, everything's going to be fine. Don't worry, it's going to be perfect. Where you can find somebody religious who will tell you, it's okay, whatever you're doing, don't worry, it's not really that bad. God will forgive you. God doesn't really bother with you anyway. A, a, a country where our, our land is under a curse. Doesn't Paul say in Romans that, that all of creation is crying out, waiting for the, 
revelation of the sons of, of Christ, of God. And, and intellectually, I, I look and I see these things and I compare my land, our land, with the land of Israel and the land of Judah, and I can see the differences, and yet I smile and carry on living. And I read God's word where he says, I am a holy God, I am a righteous God, I am a God who cannot abide any unholiness, I am the God of justice. And, and we just carry on living. And perhaps, perhaps we are amongst those being challenged. God says, ooh, you guys, who are you leading astray? We're all priests. We all have the Spirit of God in us. But you know the thing which really gets me is how infrequently I find myself and us as Christians staggering. Jesus is coming to judge the world. True? And at that moment, those who are his will go to heaven and those who are not will be eternally condemned. True? Let's have some coffee. Oh God, that we would be staggered. we would be broken inside. That we would be broken inside as we drive past our primary schools, as we drive past our high schools, as we drive past our neighbors, as we drive past our family we walk past the mirror. I love Isaiah chapter chapter 1 or no, chapter 9, Isaiah no, chapter 1 verse 9 where, where Isaiah meets God and he sees God there and he says, woe is me for I have seen the Lord and I am a man of unclean lips and I come from a people of unclean lips. Isaiah was staggered. Jeremiah staggered. I wish we would stagger. Into hope. See, staggering by itself is just staggering. You see, the... the, the the hope merchants of the day, the false prophets in Jeremiah's day were the ones who would say everything is going to turn out okay. Just, just believe and it'll be fine. Or just believe in yourself and 
But Jeremiah, although he is staggered by the enormity of what God is going to do, he is staggered because he knows that there is another option. He is staggered because he knows that there is more to God than just judgment, that there is more to God than just getting back at people for doing wrong. There is more to God than just His righteousness. There is also God's mercy. There is also God's promise. And God's promises, once given, will never come undone. And that's why Jeremiah 23, verses 3 to verses 8 are the most magnificent, the most amazing verses in really just, it's fantastic. Because in the midst of, of saying how bad the land is, in the midst of saying how terrible the turmoil is, Jeremiah can say, but the Lord is doing something new. The Lord is going to gather His people. The Lord is going to shepherd them Himself. What did Jesus say? I am the good shepherd. The Lord will bring His people into a safe place. And the time is coming when there will be a a descendant of David's line on the throne. He will rule with wisdom. He will be just and fair. It's rather scary to have a just and fair king. (laughs) But... His name will be the Lord is our righteousness. The king of the time when this was written is a bloke called Zedekiah. His name means the Lord is my righteousness. And he was one of the worst kings ever. God turns around and says, the coming king will be named the Lord is our righteousness. And my people will be saved. In Romans, Paul writes, Romans chapter 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And just a little bit later, Romans 3, it's about verse 21 or 22. Let me read it for you. Romans 3. But now God has shown us a way to be made right with him without keeping the requirements of the law as was promised in the writings of Moses and the prophets long ago. We are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. Says Jeremiah, I'm broken. And I look around and I'm broken at what the world is like. But a time is coming when He will be our righteousness.